the first thing is that you actually do start. To me, it's not so important exactly what you do. I think you need to start. That's the main point. And of course, it's important what you do, right? But, but my point I'm trying to make is that we see that the ones that move early, they learn so fast, they will be ahead of those who don't move. I think that's number one, get going. The time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's, it's now that you need to move. Having said that, of course, do that in a smarter and cautious way. Maybe you don't take your most, most critical business process and toss it and do something else. Welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of having on the show yet again, for the second time, he was uh, on the show with us about a year ago, Lars Martinson. Now, Lars is the Vice President and Head of Solution Area Cloud, as well as the Head of Network Function Virtualization Infrastructure, and heads up Ericsson Silicon Valley. Lars, thanks so much for making time to uh, catch up with me. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Des. Uh, a pleasure. Well, as you said, it was a good time last year, so it was easy choice to come back again. Uh, you're too kind. And, you know, uh, we were talking off air just a moment ago, and it frightens me that a whole year has gone by uh, so darn quickly, because when I was looking at my notes from our previous catch-up, uh, it literally felt like it was last week. So where did that year go? Um, well, in fact, with that in mind, I, I wonder if you maybe just give us a recap on kind of some of the amazing things that you've been doing in 2019. I'd like to dive into a bit of the remit of your role and the number of hats you wear. But uh, while we're on the topic of 2019, you've had some amazing successes and you've achieved some big goals in your whole market of sort of the North American space and all areas, particularly what you're doing with Ericsson Silicon Valley. I wonder if you can just give us a couple of minutes of recap of what you've been up to in the last year. Sure. I mean, but it's, as you say, right, it's been a year of, of a very good execution and also with good results coming with that, of course. So, so that, that is all in all, a lot of work, but also a lot of good result, of course. So I think that the, the, the most important is that the, what we do today with the cloud infrastructure that we support is that we are working very closely to support uh, the rollout of our applications in the network and the, the packet core networks needed to, to for the 5G services and so forth. And uh, that has been, as you say, going a very good success. We have uh, increased the number of contracts for five years such. Now we're getting close to, we're way over 20 contracts right now. And we were the first to deploy on on, on uh, four continents, right? So, so that is a success. And if you take from an infrastructure point of view, as we touched based on last year, right, we have a transformation of the infrastructure as such where we go to open source-based infrastructure and, and uh, uh, the related growth of that has been fantastic this year. So we are now, uh, you know, in uh, significant traffic load and is growing day by day with both new customers and growth of traffic in the existing network. So with that, of course, comes the question, what happens next? So in addition then to to um, actually delivering on the targets for this year, we'll also be looking at the strategy for next year. So it's been pretty busy. Mm-hmm. And here in the Silicon Valley, we, we have dug in a lot into the ecosystem as such. And uh, we have a lab here that is open. So we have like an open space where we now have a 5 years network deployed. So application developers in the Valley can come in and, and work and test towards the 5 year. And we have quite a, quite a busy, busy calendar here as well in our lab. I can only imagine. Uh, I'm surprised that anyone gets to go home. Uh, um, well, congratulations on an amazing year and, you know, watching it uh, uh, both from an inside point of view with some of the market briefings I had the privilege of getting from you and your team uh, and the team uh, through Europe and the world, in fact. Uh, yeah, and then looking at from, from an outsider's point of view, there's just this non- non-stop, constant uh, uh, stream of amazing achievements and good news. I was reading the recent uh, release of the Ericsson Mobility Report 
And, you know, there's this amazing statistic that you're onboarding over a million new subscribers to the network every day. And, mm. you know, I look at it and realize that that's new handset holders, not just a refresh of people who are getting a new phone. So, you know, the, the sort of statistics that we're talking about there are quite mind-boggling. And we're going to get into yet another report that you've just published in a moment. Um, but just briefly, I mean, when we think about uh, the amazing uh, challenges you have here, I mean, in itself, vice president and head of Solution Area Cloud is a big challenge. Uh, network function virtualization infrastructure itself is also a big challenge. But heading up the whole of Ericsson Silicon Valley, uh, I mean, that in itself, I mean, I'm imagining that you're a professional juggler in a previous life because uh, uh, you've been with Ericsson for over a decade now. You've had some amazing roles. But this, surely this is one of the most exciting combinations of job functions you could ever have. Indeed it is. And, and luckily, I'm not alone, right? So so uh, I have a fantastic team who works with this, and, and, and that's why we can be able to, 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 to get the results we do. So, uh, But that's also, I guess, that that is the type of role when, as you say, you've been around the block for some time, but you really add the most value, that, that you have deep execution in one area, but I'm also very active across the ecosystem and participate in that. And that's how I see... Uh, that I best can uh, give value right now because that both gives me a lot of impressions for a good, uh, you know, learnings for our own strategy and how to move forward with that. But it also gives an opportunity then to to have a dialogue with people that forces their thinking as well. And uh, and that's, I guess, what the whole essence of an ecosystem is, right? Uh, indeed, yeah. The, I think um, there's, I love that famous line that, uh, I always use myself that is if I'm successful in life, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And uh, I think the uh, one of the you know, I love hearing you say that because one of the most important things I think of a good leader in any organization is to, to acknowledge the amazing work that the team around them are doing and supporting them with. Uh, because uh, you know, you're an exciting market, you're in a big, large uh, region of the world, and you've got one of the most active markets in, in the telco mobility space and others. And uh, it's it's changing so fast that uh, to stay ahead of it must just be exhausting. Now. You've just published an amazing uh, report called 5G for Business, um, a Market Compass. This is, I think, the third iteration from memory. I remember I've read a couple of versions. And some mind-boggling data around that, uh, particularly around the potential revenue opportunities with CSPs if they can tap into these various industry opportunities that it outlines. Um, I wonder if maybe you could just give us a bit of background on kind of what brought the report to be in the first place. Because, um, I mean, Ericsson as a brand publishes some amazing reports and papers and statistics. Um, give us a little background on the actual report itself and what it brought it about, and then we'll sort of dive into some of the key findings that came from it. Yeah, and I think whenever you take a perspective of 2030 as such, it is to set the visionary statement to 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 set that this is where we're heading, right? And uh, uh, we wanted to do that to show that we are sometimes kind of stuck in our daily struggles. It goes back to what I just said, right? But we need to look long term and long term, not only being two to three years. Some of the decisions we have ahead of us is going to really reap the benefits five, 10 years out. And that in any corporation is a very, very long time zone. However, we wanted to create that vision. So what we've done here is that we have looked at uh, the industries that we think are most relevant uh, for 5G and enterprise going forward. Uh, and they are healthcare, manufacturing, and so forth, public transportation, energy utilities, auto, automotive, and agriculture, public safety, and the list goes on. And you can probably add another two or three if you want to, right? I think one that we have coming up as well now in very strong power the last year or so is retail. 
And it could be 12, it could be 14, right? But I think the, the whole purpose here was to show that if you take these industries and really dig into the potential use cases, uh, it's a staggering uh, large opportunity that is on the table, right? And depending on how you count, right, to 700 billion opportunity that, that is possible to address here. And I think one of the reasons an opportunity to be here working in an ecosystem is, is not only to go after the money such, but it's also to learn how to 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 work in a different way. And I think that's something that the whole industry is about to change to. If we look back to where we were from a, from a service provider industry with the mobile telephony and so forth, we very much have delivered voice and SMS and mobile broadband. Those are the main services that we've done. And now to really go in and work with these new use cases uh, that is needed to serve these 10 industries we just mentioned here, that, that is, uh, will require a totally different way of working. And you will depend and work with partners and you will co-create and so forth. So that is one of the things uh, what we see happening in the industry. And that is also why it's so important to have a vision statement where you're going. There's a lot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? And, and uh, we, we, we try to articulate what that could be and how to address that. So, so that's really the, the what's behind the report here. And... Um, yeah, when then once you dig into this, of course, every industry will have their challenge. But there are a few common denominators in here that that I think uh, we're going to be able to to thrive on going forward. Yeah, it's interesting when you look. I mean, you, it was a, I like that comment that there's some common components under this because I think a lot of these key industries that you mentioned, and you know, whether it's retail, public transport, financial services, the whole media entertainment space, which is a massive uh, early adopter on any of these things. Uh, public safety, automotive, which we know is moving quickly, if you'll pardon the pun, towards uh, autonomous cars and, <clears throat> and intelligent networks uh, as far as the roads go. Agriculture, which is often a little bit slower, but, but more dense in that they have lots of sensors and things. Healthcare, which is a no-brainer. Um, a lot of devices that used to go beep on their own are now trying to beep each other. Manufacturing is often a big one because there's lots of big moving parts and, and, and certainly in energy and utilities. And I know in Australia with mining, these are very big industry groups. But underpinning mm -hmm. those, you've got you know, the common, common connectivity problem of 5G being really fast, low latency, high volume, high data. So things like security cameras across all of those work. When you look at those areas, though, when you think about what 5G is enabling, I mean, they've got some unique components. But, but what are some of the common things that you're seeing now uh, in these industry groups that they're looking for? I mean, obviously, the connectivity, the speed, the low latency. I imagine they're leveraging security. Are there some examples of some of the common components that, that all industry groups are building on with regard to all things 5G? Yeah, I think, I mean, I actually like to take a step back a bit and look at, from, from an enterprise point of view, some of the common denominators there. Because really what one of the driving forces here, which we also touch upon in the report, right, is why do you need to digitalize from the beginning? Why right. do you need to embrace on this journey to begin with? Well, I mean, a happy life, right? You have revenue. And I think the request and urge to get the better user experience is so strong uh, for for their customers, so to speak. So they have no choice but to to, to enhance their offering, right? And we we've looked at this some of the cases, but I still think one of the absolute best user experience changes is the whole Uber experience. Uh, how you today order a car, you pay with your credit card, you don't need to worry that the driver don't know where you're going because it's all in there. You, I mean, this whole thing that you rate each other. So, I mean, the user experience as such, I think, sits in the center of this, or it should at least. Then, of course, you have a strong cost driver in here that is underpinning how can I be more competitive? I used to do it for 100% of the cost. How can I significantly cut that? And I think those are in play here. And then, of course, 
the pace of this industry change, not only do you have to have a lower cost and a better use experience, you need to be able to change quickly. So the time to market for new solutions and services is, is also driving. And I think if you look at these 10, yeah, there's a difference, of course, being a utility delivering power versus a media uh, company, right? But some of these drivers, underlying drivers are still the same, right? How do you have a really cost-efficient infrastructure to deliver that for, as, as an example, right? Indeed. The, yeah, and, and then if you go into the use cases, so, so this is, um, I spent quite a lot of time meeting, meeting enterprises. And I actually had a session here uh, just before the summer where, where I ended up meeting 15 different enterprises. And uh, I was there to present 5G. And, and halfway through the presentation, I realized that they have not really understood what 5G is good for. So I kind of had to rewind the whole presentation and save it, so to speak, and really take a step back and see what is it that you can do differently with 5G going forward. It turned out to be a fantastic discussion and, and everyone left energized with new ideas. So I think we as an industry here addressing enterprises for new use cases need to really start with what you just did a few minutes ago here to explain what can you do differently. If you do this, what are the, the things that we can make happen for you? So just a simple case around the corner. If you have a company that have new branches and new offices, how do you do our IT infrastructure? We can provision a slice in the 5G network and you can run all your IT services, your laptop, your phones, without pulling one single cable in your office. Now, that's, of course, different if you have an office with all the cables pulled already, right? But, but I mean, these are the type of things that you need to really engage in these discussions. So it's, it's not the straightforward yet just to do a product packaging and off you go selling, right? You, you need, really need to get into these use cases and that, that you can see there. Indeed, and I think one of the things that uh, you, you're probably finding, <coughs> excuse me, is um, I'm seeing now from boardrooms all the way down to the water cooler that there's this, this uh, as you said before, this need to step back and even do something uh, as simple as saying, have we got a common language and vocabulary to discuss this? Because, exactly. You know, yep. even the level of understanding of, of what is the fifth generation of this um, technology about and what are the ancillary parts and you know as you said when you're talking about creating a network slice do people actually understand what that means I mean there are still people that don't know what a virtual private network means in their enterprise mm -hmm. um, and so when you then get into some of those use cases you're talking about whether it's enhanced video or real-time automation I mean um, on the very front page uh, and, and I, I, I recommend everyone listening go and grab a copy of the report on the um, Ericsson website uh, if you just search for 5G for business, <clears throat> a 2030 market compass, you'll find it in 30 seconds. Right on the front page, there's a beautiful picture of a drone flying down a warehouse through the aisles, looking at what I'm imagining is either doing a stock keeping count or trying to find and locate an uh, a thing that needs to be shipped somewhere. And you know, right on the front page is a very clear message saying this is a different new use case using drones for different types of things in your warehouse, mm -hmm. your factories. And I love that visual because it, it really just stamps this message right up front that we've got to think differently about, you know, now we've got so many things. There's one that's cheaper and faster and easier. It's more scalable. Two, you don't have human beings moving around in areas where they could be hurt and, and, and heavy things fall on them. Um, drones can be recharged and run 24-7. Like these are such different use cases of a common problem that we've had all the way back to thousands of years ago, people putting things in buildings and storing them. Um, back to the times of, of people moving food and things around the world and putting them in buildings to save them. Um, so even just that common language and vocab of what 5G actually is and what all the elements are of network slicing and network function virtualization, all the security elements, um, until they get to that point, uh, often they're just tripping up on, on what actually it is. 
Then getting into the, some of those use cases, as you said, you know, some of those use cases are quite fundamental shifts, like the, the first page of the report with the drone flying down the aisles of, of a factory. Uh, something we do every day in manufacturing and retail and transport and even just finding cars and car parks. You know, I, I was talking to someone the other day and I said to them, I can't find my damn car in the car park. Why doesn't the shopping mall have a drone that can just fly up and down exactly. and find my damn car, right? And she yeah. laughed. Um, but you're alluding to some of the use cases there, and I think it's on. I made a note that it was on, I think, page 11 of the report. There's a really great summary uh, in like a racy chart format of, uh, I guess, the breakdown of some of the market segments from agriculture and automotive all the way to retail and public transport. And it specifically breaks down some of the common components, like from the first one on the top left, it was like, I think, enhanced video. It's right across them all. And you've heat mapped yep. where it makes most sense, and that is healthcare has a big obvious one, entertainment, down to you know remote uh, applications and so forth. So that's an amazing reference that I think people should just print out and put on their wall and go, you know, we can reference these. Yeah, I, th I think, and this is where you, you, where, where I find it most useful to start a discussion. And, and I even have a simpler version than this for, for a, a, before you get into specific uh, industry, right? And, and to me, there's a huge cluster of really about vision-based real-time decision making. You have a lot of data. It comes from a camera. It might be from sensors, but let's just say from a camera. A camera is a fantastic sensor, right? I mean, if you, if you see it like that, you can do so many things. And to make decision based on that, there is just an, you know, an endless number of use cases you can do on that. But they very often come with that, uh, the fact that you want to take the decision fairly quickly if you wait too long. Uh, it's going to be a poor user experience, right? Hence that you need then to have an edge solution where you can manage that large video stream on site, uh, either then through an on-premise network or from a network near service that you have. The other one we have, which I kind of call like a shock data shock uh, absorber, right? If you look at the car industries, some of the factories, it's just a massive amount of data that, that you collect in your devices and sensors. Uh, and, and frankly speaking, you can't afford to transfer it. If you try to send that to a central cloud, it will cost you a fortune, and you probably will mess up because it's so complex to manage all the data streams if you have like 100 or 200 or 1,000 cameras, right? So that is the other one. You need to do AI at the edge. You need to massage the data, take decision layers, and then send the results wherever it needs to go, right? And I think those are the first level of two use case groups that I think that we have. Uh, Real-time decision, real decision uh, video or vision-based uh, decisions, and then uh, to manage the, the large amount of data that flows around, right? Uh, then, as you said, you go into the, the nine here we have on the report here. That, that's a further you know, way to split that out. But it really comes down to these two. Yeah, it, it, one of the interesting things about that, as you said, is that the volume of data, because I think when we think about these use cases and it's easy to get on a whiteboard and draw a picture of one camera and it's looking at, let's say, a factory floor or, or a school or a hospital for a security use case, and they think about 4K data and it's not that big. But as you said, when you think about putting 100 of these or 1,000 of these somewhere large and eventually hundreds of thousands in cities, the volume of data is, is, is beyond comprehensible. We eventually get to the point where we don't even have enough disk space or SSD storage in the world to just do one site. Um, the other interesting thing about this that I've seen around the place now is when we, when we put one camera in place, 4K is such high resolution that we can also think about putting less cameras because we're getting high resolution, better quality data so we can see more in one image, but multiple uses. And I was doing an example of this and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, where one big 4K camera staring at a car park and you can geofence multiple areas and you can look for things moving, 
but we can actually add multiple things to the stack. So one service provider might get the feed in the layer and look at just the edge of the, the fences and see if anyone's jumped over the fence. Another mm -hmm. might be looking. Another one might be looking in the stream and seeing if there's anyone moving around the areas where cars are parked. Let's say, and another one might be looking at saying, "Well, has anyone in the in the car park fallen over?" And so all of a sudden now you've got this one stream where rather than having three service providers with three separate cameras in 4K, you have one camera and securely providing the feed to people who are doing analysis in the stream. And so now we've got a better quality of data. We've got faster moving data over 5G, but we're also doing smarter things with the data. Rather than, you know, once upon a time you might have a, a fence security company versus a people management company versus a asset management company, and they've all got their own infrastructure. Now people are looking at how they can be smarter about what they're doing with the infrastructure and maybe more expensive investments in the individual components, but less investment in less dense uh, environment. Is this something you're finding now where people are saying, well, we can, we can be a lot smarter about what we're using with the technology we're bringing in today? Oh, absolutely. And I think one part that, that you kind of implicitly said, there is also the amount of cameras that you can, can, you can do, right? If you were a person sitting 10 years ago watching security cameras, how many screens were you able to really pay attention to? Three, four? Really yeah. skilled, maybe five, six, eight, maybe? I mean, if what you do now with, with the, the most recent technology and the, and the AI algorithm that exists, right? I mean, you can have... A, you know, thousands. There's no real limit how many you go, right? You can look for certain behavior across if you want, for instance, in, I mean, you talked about a parking lot, but you can go out on the street. If you want to identify cars with an unnatural behavior, for instance, drunk driving, then you can probably scan the whole city in one go. So from a smart city point of view, you can have an AI algorithm keeping track of potential drunk drivers and then dispatch the police to go once the, the system points one or identifies one, and then you can point to that. Uh, so I think there's an endless number of use cases. And here I think is this is both the, the beauty and the risk, right? If you try to understand everything up front, I, I think you get overwhelmed. So what we really advocate right now is that some of the investments you need to do, you need to look very long term. Uh, but we also advocate don't try to do everything in one go. In our recommended discussions we had today with service providers, we talk about focusing on a, on, on a num the number of industries that you have a stronghold. And if it's just three, four or two or five, I mean, that's up to the respective service provider to decide. But really go in and go in and do this well. And then once you've done that, you can continue to, to, to grow into either to more advanced use cases in that industry or move on to another segment as well, right? Uh, I think that that is key because as, as we just spent the past couple of minutes here brainstorming a bit about use cases, there's an endless of things that we don't have, that we haven't figured out yet. So I think that type of approach is quite key. Uh, having said that, though, you need to make a strategic decision that, for instance, today, if you are a, a, a large service provider uh, and you have a large enterprise market, you probably need to do investments in your go-to-market, and that's going to be very difficult to, to finance only by going after one use case in one industry. So you kind of have to do the, the, the strategic decision, I'm going to go in this direction and have the vision of 2030 as, as a guiding principle or a guiding star, whatever you want to call it, and then still accept that you do a step-by-step -step approach. So I met a few of the customers that now take significant steps around edge and find use cases that don't expect to make any money in two or three years. So that, I think, is uh, combined then with that in not only do you need to have the long-term perspective to step-by-step -step approach, you also need to work in an ecosystem, which means that this really is a transformation that will take years to get through for the industry. 
Indeed. And I, I guess in all fairness, you know, I think a, a lot of people um, look at, at sort of what they need to invest in the deployment and rollout of, of new technologies built, built around what 5G can bring. And sometimes I hear quite an alarmist response saying, oh, that's a very big investment. And then I look back and say, but wait, you did that with 3G. You did that with 4G. You did it with Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've had uh, the dot-com boom and the web 2.0 boom and the cloud boom and the big data analytics boom. And now you're having to address cybersecurity. This is another evolutionary investment that you've got to make. And when we think about the, the two sides of this coin, you've got the telco world that has, has had an entire lifetime a very big sunk cost with 10, 15-year ROIs to, to just recover the cost on their network rollout, on the infrastructure router and switches and servers and other cellular technology like uh, uh, things that, you know, antennas on poles. And, and when we think about the enterprise side, you know, building computer rooms or data centers and racks of infrastructure and even rolling out a new email platform can have a three to five-year uh, break-even ROI before the, the first email is profitable. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I'm always keen, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on this, to, to just remind people that, that, that 5G doesn't mean there's a new sticker shock. This is just an evolutionary investment. But as you said, this is likely to have longer potential positive consequences if you make a smart decision. Um, and so don't rush at it. Make smart decisions. Invest in the right piece and build it in Lego blocks. Are, are you seeing now sort of this slightly, not so much alarmist, but slightly um, quirky view that, oh, this is a new expensive thing we've got to go versus well, this is just an evolutionary spend that we've been doing for a long time with other technologies. It's no different. We just have to be a little bit smarter because it's higher volume, high density, faster speed. I mean, I think we see a bit of both, of course, depending on what type. You have always have the half-class empty and half-class full kind of attitudes, right? <laughs> but I think but what I would say, though, is that the common denominator is is a very strong positive feeling that this is such a strong technology, uh, and it, I mean, it's like a fiber-like uh, uh, technology, right? And, and you, there are things here that we have not been able to do before. And that's why this belief in that this will be able to do so much more in this journey that the enterprises need to do when they need to transform the user experience, their cost structure, uh, and their time to market for new services. This is going to be more than just mobile broadband. So I think to your question, right, for those who who only have a mobile broadband perspective, yeah, for sure. Then you can argue, but we've just launched 4G. Do we need a new G right now from that perspective? I think you do, because you will. those who try it will understand why. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but the, I think the, the, the key takeaway that there is such a strong positive uh, movement about doing something more with it that will grow the revenue for the service providers on top of the normal mobile broadband revenue, right? And I think that that's really what we, we are here to, to capitalize on. Indeed. And I guess, you know, one of the things I want to highlight for, for our audience is that um, when we think about this report, uh, you know, the title of itself, you know, 5G for Business, a 2030 market compass. <clears throat> I mean, I guess the remit from this is to really provide, as a compass does, some v- sort of direction and, and, and visibility of where things are moving to, you know, whether it's the, the overall introduction and, and what 5G uh, uh, offers as far as, you know, fueling the digital transformation across all industries through to some of the key industry trends and, and, and drivers and barriers that you've been able to capture through the research you've done. Um, but one of the things that, that I got from reading the report was that it answers a lot of the questions that uh, have been on the, the lips of people where, you know, what if or where is or how do. So, again, you know, I think this report's been uh, now in its third iteration, for one understand, 
um, what it's been able to do is, is uh, you've been able to capture this very broad bucket of deep data that's hard to grasp, and you've boiled it down to some key components, as you said, not just the industries, but also the opportunities. And I guess that brings me to my next question that I made a note of, and which is, I'd love to get some insight in some of the conversations you're having now with the, the various um, customers in different industry segments, and, and I'm assuming they've read the report, and some of their key takeaways from this, because you've got a number of very big uh, uh, industry sectors you're dealing with. You've got some very big brands and names. We won't name some of them, but in some of those areas of health and manufacturing, retail, and, and et cetera. Um, can you share some insight in some of the conversations you're having with them based around what the report's uh, uh, I guess, you know, opened their eyes to and, and some of the realisations they've made from having read the report and gleaned insights from the data. Um, what are some of those conversations like? I imagine they're pretty exciting conversations. Yeah, and I think that that definitely, if you take some of the larger companies that, that we talk to meet uh, together with our service providers, then is that it's very often a discussion that, okay, we know our industry, uh, we know how to do that. We realize that it comes new technology, but we also realize there's no way we're going to do this ourselves. So, so they're really asking for uh, kind of a, a, a you know a group of three here, whatever you want to call it. That the enterprise, the company, as such, then together with the service provider or in that specific country, and ask that how do we deal with this together? Then, and uh, we then you know strive and of course to enable our service providers to do really good business together with this enterprise but we then of course a part of, of setting them what is the you know explaining what is possible from technology point of view what are the potential use cases and so forth so it's really a more of a request how do we get it done i think they accept this and depending on their own maturity uh, uh, in their journey of digitalization the questions will be slightly different but it's more of a request to, to really how do we get going with this together and where, where do we start i would also like to point out that we still see a quite strong individual independence on who we're talking to. You can meet different companies in the same industry that have a very, very different level of maturity, which is quite interesting. So I don't think yet that across these 10 industries that you have a full heterogeneous uh, knowledge level, if I put it like that. Right. Which is another thing that we need to, as an industry, work for. That will come during these 10 years, of course. But you have some early movers. Maybe that's how I should say this. We have a group of early movers that have understood the value. They also understand they cannot do it themselves. The conversation very quickly turns to, sorry, how do we get this done then? How do we do this uh, together? Right. And I guess there's a combination of that and that is, as you said, there's some early movers in they're either early adopters and can foresee the market opportunity and investing early, or in some cases, they have a pain point they're resolving that's uh, approached them now and they, mm-hmm. they, they have to deal with this. When I was reading the report, one of the things I want to bring people's attention to as well is that um, I, think, I think it's in the middle of the report, there's this great segment around just navigating the accessible market and particularly the value chain, where, where to fit into this. And it broke it down to three really great components I want to just highlight for listeners. The first component was this, just the whole connectivity infrastructure provisioning piece. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. from the telco side of things, that's a bit of a no-brainer because you're rolling out uh, and deploying uh, the 5G infrastructure, uh, putting an, a tent- antennas on poles. You're rolling out uh, various parts of the intelligence, and as, as Ericsson has been doing, investing in everything from work on OpenStack and the cloud itself and so forth, and then all the pieces of the edge. The middle part was service enablement and, and how to actually you know, just make new services available to people. And then the last part was the actual application service provisioning. So so what I got from that was um, I was listening to a talk recently, I think it was one of the webinars, and it was just talking about how Ericsson now can instantiate stuff 
uh, you know, as software-defined infrastructure. So you don't have to, as you said, plug and play anything. No one's running around putting RJ11s or RJ45s in devices anymore. Everything's DevOps, everything's orchestrated, everything's automated. And those three core parts to me really jumped out that when we think about it from that connectivity and infrastructure provisioning, from the service enablement, and then the application and service provisioning, that was a, like a really nice, clean segmentation of the key areas that people can focus on for those early adopter opportunities. Uh, you know, someone might be rolling out some new wireless service. Well, do they go Wi-Fi or do they go 5G? Because I can imagine that laptops could soon have a 5G SIM in them rather than a wireless modem. You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you must be getting some great response from people uh, in that space. When you think about the uh, early adopters, are you seeing a, a particular lead in people who have a pain point to solve? Or uh, are the early adopters leading a market, or is there a blend of both? I think it's it's a blend of both. Uh, some of the use cases are clearly, uh, I need to reduce my cost, while others come more from a, okay, how can I increase my user experience? So you can argue that the user experience is a pain point as well if you're, if you're about to be, be threatened for that. So I, I think you see a bit of both here. Uh, I think we also see that our customers, the service price then, they have right now at least different ambitions here. So we see that, I mean, you mentioned the three different parts of the, the pure connectivity and then the enablement and then also the full, uh, the full services and application, right? That's probably three different roles that you will see a segmentation across the operators that will take different roles here as well. There are those that today have a very strong enterprise business. They have a large sales force. They're very successful. They are very clear. They want to go. They want to move. They want to, uh, you know, build on that workforce and see what more can we sell now. And they are not going to be happy with just selling connectivity. They have an ambition to grow faster. And then in their ability, they need to transform the sales force. And as I said, they need to strike the right type of partnerships, get access to the right type of applications, potentially even develop their own applications. Uh, and then, you know, just get into the right the ecosystems, right? But then you have another group then that, you know, maybe today are not that strong on the enterprise market. They've been mainly focused on the consumers um, that initially at least say, okay, well, I'm not really going to jump into that. So I'm happy to, to stay to sell connectivity to, to enterprises as well. So you will see a segmentation there as well. And, and in our dialogue then, of course, we get more of the discussions directly with enterprises for those who wants to go all the way and take all three steps. But for us, it's equally important to, to have offerings and, and solutions to serve all these three type of, of, of customers that we have. One of the underpinning things from all this, of course, is that when we look at this, uh, my first read of the report, and I made notes through it, uh, we're sort of around the technology shift and the digital transformation required to achieve this. My second read was sort of the big trends and market shifts that you've been able to highlight. My third read uh, uh, left me with one really clear message, and that is the revenue opportunities. And I guess in any business, whether you're the carrier and service providers on one side of the fence and providing infrastructure, or whether the enterprises who are the customers who are consuming those services, it seemed to me that there are a number of very clear messages around the revenue opportunities and where if you are smart and if you're investing early, you're going to get some of that early lead opportunity to, as you said, provide different types of services, uh, value add to your various uh, types of um, service chains. Uh, uh, you, you could become more lean and keen and you could differentiate in ways that the people who aren't getting into the market early uh, haven't had that opportunity to do. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing now when you talk to enterprises in particular? I mean, obviously you're inside the telco space every day. But when we think of the other side of the coin and, and that whole question of examples of what 5G can do for enterprises and particularly related revenue, 
Uh, are there some key things that jump out as far as just the value proposition that 5G for enterprise bring in you know, making them leaner and keener and smarter or faster or more effective? Are there some examples that have really jumped out in the last sort of year? And uh, it, it's really what, what really gets traction right now is the first group that I said that this real time decision making is is where where we, we think that you know we, we see a strong interest here to have the mobile solutions and five G will then be of course uh, strong enabling that. that that's really where this pops up. You have an endless number of of early explorers out here that that do that, and I think they go about it in different ways, but around the, the, this type of real time decision. Vision-based decisions is, is where it sits. Uh, I think if you look for a common denominator. But I also think, I mean, you mentioned something else there in passing, right, about the early movers uh, also from the from, from an operator side. It, it, I think it's quite important here that we understand that one single use case for one single industry will not carry the needed investment. So as important it is to do and go and try and build for certain industries, we really have to resist to build customer-specific or industry-specific solutions because that will never scale. So the horizontal component here, the infrastructure is such, you need to have thought through the architecture. So how can I reuse AI solutions across multiple uh, industries? How can I reuse my whole platform? Uh, and potentially, when you then go into the mobile edge of this, can you reuse do you have industries that have a need to use the infrastructure at different points of time in the day so that you really can get an efficient uses of the infrastructure uh, that will really help this scale faster and in the end then come to the enterprise point of view to to a much lower cost for the solution and for them as well so i think there's there's quite a few levels here of of uh, um, uh, execution that we need to go through but in the end you will see a network with edge services uh, delivered from the mobile network where you have multiple industries having a using common set of functionalities around AI and other things in here and hopefully we will be able to merge then or we will be able to merge of course the, the different use cases that use it uh, at different times during the day. I mean you said it yourself for instance you had that drone doing inventory well, that's not going to happen during busy hour the enterprise, right? That's going to happen during night. And then you use your whatever infrastructure you have, be it on-premise or in the network, you use it off-peak hours. And that's a way to get the, the whole efficiency of the infrastructure up as well. Indeed. In fact, I was in a factory recently. I can't say who yet because I haven't gone to market yet. We're, we're still working on designing the solution. But uh, I went out to the factory floor and the entire building was dark. And uh, it took me two seconds to realize they were using LiDAR to map things and they were using uh, infrared to find things. They didn't need the lights on. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it, really, it really struck me as a, a big visual. So I grabbed my mobile phone and I, I, I videoed as much as I could to show other people on the team that I just walked into one of the largest warehouses on the planet and the lights weren't on. But the drones, yeah. something like 80 drones, are flying around independently. They, they, <laughs> exactly. They flew to somewhere and did uh, induction-based, uh, uh, you know, pad charging so that they didn't have to plug in they they got little jobs issued to them like little emails basically like they got essentially an sms saying go do this thing and the noise was phenomenal it was just 24 7 but they were flying in the dark and mm. someone had realized they don't need the lights on they've got a better type of camera that can operate in the dark and, and even something as fundamental as that um when, when they were doing it they were frustrated with the fact they could only run, run 250 of these on wi-fi and they're waiting for 5g to come yeah. And it just really yeah. woke me up to this this whole need to think differently. And I, I think this is something that, again, I took away from the report that when I looked at the data, I realized we can't do we can't approach the future by just continuing to do what we've done before. We've really got to step back and say, what what can I do? 
what differently? What, how do I change my approach to sort of that, you know, as you said, from the, the next 10 years, from 2020 to 2030, I can't, you know, what's that? I think the phrase says that to keep doing, doing the same thing three or more times to expect a different outcome is the definition of insanity, yeah. right? And, That's uh, Einstein, yes. Yeah, yes. And, I, and I jokingly say that, but, you know, with the greatest respect to people, we have done the same thing for many years in the same way and, and thought things are going to change. But it's not just the investment. It's not just the approach. It's that opportunity in many ways to think differently. Um, one, let me wrap up with one last question for you because I'd love to sort of get you to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing if I can because I know we're coming up to the hour. and, and, and um, You did it last year as well. I remember the indeed. crystal ball came out last year as well. So let's see. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. With, with, yeah. er, with everything we've been talking about and, and, and you know, we've got two sides of the coin here. You've got in the, in the report, you've got a great set of data and trends and analysis you've done from the CSP, the, the carrier and service provider space. Uh, you've got a great set of data that, that, that talks specifically to the topic, which is specifically what 5G can do for business and, and what this compass provides. If, if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball, as my, my final question to you, maybe, um, there are a lot of people in boardrooms, there are a lot of people in business units uh, that are heading up these different parts of the organisations on both sides of the coin. There are a lot of people talking at the water cooler and doing stand-up scrum meetings every day and their agile processes. They are all asking common questions and which are usually along the lines of where do we start? What are the first moves we move? You, you are literally at the bleeding edge of where this is, if you'll pardon the pun, mm-hmm. around edge computing and edge networking. Um, what are some of the insights that you can share and some of the things that you can see from your crystal ball, if I hand you this virtual crystal ball, that they should be thinking about what's coming over the next sort of, you know, either in 12 to 18 months or three to five years? At conversational level, you know, what should they be talking about? What should they anticipate coming from? Yeah. You know, what are the big uh, It's things? a good one. We actually, I actually was looking in the same crystal ball a few days ago. Uh, no, but I think the first thing is that you actually do start. It's to me, it's not so important exactly what you do. I think you need to start. That's the main point. And of course, it's important what you do, right? But, but, but my point I'm trying to make is that. Don't wait around and think this is really. We see that the ones that move early, they learn so fast, and and uh, they will be ahead of those who don't move. I think that's number one. Get going. Uh, the time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's it's now that you need to move. Having said that, of course, do that in a smart and cautious way. You, maybe you don't take your most most critical business process and toss it and do something else, just by chance, right? Do it exploratory. Uh, when you engage in different type of partnership agreements and, and whatever you need to do to do this change that you're about to do, make sure that you have the flexibility and openness. I mean, obviously, don't lock yourself down in long-term contracts and stuff like that. That will cost you a lot of money. So really go into an exploratory phase, dare to tip your toe in, in, in the, or dip your toe in the water, so to speak, right? And, and really get going. Make a two or three really deep moves where you go all the way, one or two to three, and really learn, and then take a step back, reflect, and then scale up. Uh, I think that's what we see, because the ones that move are, are, are going to get ahead and they're going to stay ahead. I love that. That's a fantastic line to wrap up. It, it reminds me of a, a line that's actually in your report, uh, 5G for Business, a 2030 market compass, and it says, uh, I'll paraphrase, it says something of the term that um, the journey to capture the value of 5G beyond mobile broadband starts now. And uh, mm. so I think you, you've, you've given us a perfect summary and wrap up there. Well, Lars, it's been great to uh, catch up with you. Thank you so much for making time. And um, I, do, I do ask people listening in to go and just jump online and visit the ericsson.com website uh, or just do a, a quick web search with their favorite search engine, search for the uh, report and read it. It's titled 5G for Business, a 2030 Market Compass. 
Uh, it's all about setting a direction for 5G-powered uh, business-to-business opportunities. But there's a, a whole range of other data in there to be gleaned. Grab a copy, share it with your team, and uh, we would love you to join the conversation on social through LinkedIn and Twitter and other things. And uh, Lars, I look forward to having you on the show again soon, hopefully uh, in less than a year this time. Uh, firstly, congratulations on an amazing 2019. You've absolutely knocked the ball out of the park, as they say, in your uh, part of the world now in America. And uh, I'm looking forward to a really exciting 2020 ahead from what you and your team are going to do and, and Ericsson as a whole globally. I think we are in a very exciting time. And as your report says, those who uh, adopt early, those who move early, are clearly going to get some advantages in not just revenue opportunities, but whole different service uh, opportunities in the world that uh, they haven't even begun to discover yet. Lars, it's been great to chat to you, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you, Des. A pleasure, as always. And uh, hopefully, as you say, before a year. But if not before, in a year, then. Absolutely. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you. Cheers.